Well, if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to continue our series looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And I would imagine that almost every person has the question, how can you develop a deep relationship with God? Now, there's many people that know about God. Many folks know truths about Him. There's a lot of people that would even identify uh, knowing Christ, identify themselves as a Christian, and that may very well be the reality. But yet there are so many people that have settled for like a superficial relationship with God. They don't know really how to experience death, depth. They would love to experience intimacy with God, that in-depth experience of loving and knowing God's goodness and His grace, to have strength and fortitude of soul, but they don't even know where to begin. And what happens is you may very well even know Jesus, but yet you just don't really have a lot of depth in your life, and you know that there must be something more. I mean, after all, you're trusting the very God of the universe, and yet you feel like you're about an inch deep. I want you to know that that is why this passage we're going to look at this morning in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 48 through 6-8, is so critically important. If you want to really experience and know how to have depth in your relationship with the living God of the universe, this is our passage. If you've lived in Texas for some time, you've probably heard of Ira and Ann Yates. I mean, there's even a town small little West Texas town named after them. It's called Ira Ann. They just kind of combine their names, just put them right together, just like that. After first service, someone even told me they'd just been there a month and a half ago, and there's not much to it. Don't blink. But there is a town that actually is named after them. In fact, it was even built on their property. Now, they, Ira and Ann Yates were ranchers in the hard scrabble Trans-Pecos area in West Texas. They had purchased this ranch, and they were barely making it. They didn't really have enough money for the mortgage or the taxes. They couldn't even afford to feed themselves or to keep themselves clothed. They were living on government subsidies. It was in terribly difficult times for them financially. On a hunch, or perhaps even out of desperation, Ira invited the Transcontinental Oil Company to just come out to their land. I mean, we're having a hard time even keeping livestock alive, not to mention us, would you maybe just come out to the land and just see if there might, might just by chance be some oil, you know? And so in 1926, a partnership with the Mid-Kansas Oil Company and Transcontinental Oil, they dug some exploratory wells. And at 1,115 feet on the Yates number 1A well, all of a sudden they hit a gusher. In fact, oil just came shooting up. This particular well that they found, this ocean of oil, was uh, producing, produced at 80,000 barrels of oil a day. But they kept drilling other places. In fact, they found many of these wells would actually double that production. In 1929, at its peak production, Yale's, Yates Field, now known as Yates Pool, was producing over 40 million, 41 million barrels of oil that year. They were literally sitting upon immense wealth, but they didn't know it until they drilled down deep. In fact, they were surviving on government subsidies, and they just had no idea. And I want you to know that that is like the experience of a lot of people, even a lot of Christians. They... Uh, 
They know about God, but they're just like barely scraping by. And it's as if they don't even know what to do or how to live. And they don't know how to drill down deep. That's what Jesus teaches us here at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, we're going to see how do you develop a deep relationship with God. It all begins with your orientation. You'll see this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. This perhaps is the most important verse in the entire Sermon on the Mount. If you can understand this verse, you not only understand the Sermon on the Mount, you will understand your Bible. It talks about our orientation. Take a look, verse 48. Jesus says this, Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How about that? Okay, so I just like, for the perfect people, can... Can you raise your hand? Because I really want to see you. I, I want to get to know you a lot better. No, Come on, some of you guys are pretty decent. No? No perfect people. Huh. How is it that we are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect when we're such miserable sinners, right? Or I'm speaking for myself. How is that even possible? You see, the entire Sermon on the Mount is driving us to our need, a need for the Savior. I mean, even last week, looking for this call to love people. How you doing with that? Like even yesterday, not so good. We are fallen. We're frail. We don't love. We don't care. We live for ourselves. We're so focused on ourselves. Our flesh just kind of has a way of taking over. And this verse tells us that we are to be perfect. Our orientation is this. This verse drives us to our need for Jesus Christ. And we are trusting in Christ's righteousness, the perfection that God accomplishes for you. This is impossible for you. But you see, like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, And he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth as the God-man, he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He fulfilled all of the law. He was absolutely 100% righteous. And through his death and resurrection... All who will believe in him, you will turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. His perfect righteousness is united to you. He places that in your account. You are 100% righteous, not by virtue of anything that you do or have done, but by virtue of the fact that you've been united with the perfect Savior. And we are trusting in him. That is what makes you a Christian, by the way that you have placed your faith in Christ. You receive his righteousness by faith. You are trusting in him. But this verse also tells us that we have an orientation in life, that we're trusting in Christ, but also it tells us about our direction, that we are to be growing in mature in Christ's likeness. It is the direction that God is accomplishing in you. So we receive the perfect righteousness of Christ But this verse also tells us God wants you to be fully mature. The Greek word is teleos. It has like brought to full development, fully mature. God not only brings about salvation in your life, but he's bringing about discipleship where you and I grow to be fully mature that we are like our heavenly father. We have that kind of maturity. You see, receiving God's perfection changes our direction in life. So if you are really a Christian and your faith is in Christ, 
Your orientation has changed. You are now trusting in him, and you were following him because God is developing maturity, Christ-likeness in us. And if you want to know, well, what does perfection look like, humanly speaking? All you have to do is look at Jesus, the God-man. It's why we study our Bibles, especially the Gospels, because we see what God is trying to develop in all of us, that we look like him. In fact, he has even given his Holy Spirit in our lives for this to be the ongoing reality. And so just like a child resembles their parents, so God intends that we would resemble him. And he makes that possible by uniting us with Christ to receive his righteousness and setting us on a course direction of maturity to become like him. And really, that is... uh, the goal of every parent, right? If you're a parent and you have a kid or two or three or seven, your goal is what? You want them to become fully mature in every respect, right? Certainly physically, but emotionally, relationally, socially, intellectually, spiritually, right? Financially, you want them to learn how to make good decisions. You want them to develop character. But I tell you that as a parent, If you're going to take the passive position and just sit back and hope that happens, I got news for you. If you feed them and put them in the backyard for a little exercise and sunlight, you might get physical development. But you've got to be intentional in making the investments. And that's what God is doing with us. It's our orientation. He wants us to become fully mature. So how do you develop depth in your relationship with God? Well, it all started with 548, our orientation. But it moves forward with motivation. And that's the very next verse, chapter 6, verse 1, where Jesus then speaks to our motivation, what moves us. It causes you to act. That's what motivation is. Like if you're thirsty and you go get a glass of water, you get that water because you want to quench your thirst. If you find that I really don't know much about something and you want knowledge, you'll pick up a book and you will read it and you will actually then start satisfying this urge and yearning to know. God says, I want you to have the right motivation. You want depth in a relationship with me? Have the right motivation. Look at this warning he gives in chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And so here you've got this, like, in classic prophetic style, Jesus cast this warning, beware, watch out. Don't go about showing off, like, religious behavior, righteous actions, some sort of uh, behavior that would somewhat identify you as a spiritual being for the show of others. In fact, the word, you see that to be noticed, the Greek word there is theaomai. Theaomai. It's where we get our word theater. You see, at a theater, uh, it's, it's a spectacle. It's a show. It's not real. You've got actors, but they're just playing a role. That's not who they really are. And if, if you've ever been to like a play, um, you've, you've noticed like, you know, they put on this big show. But you ever like notice sometimes like afterwards you like get to talk with the actors that maybe all on stage and they kind of talk about their who they are what they do and you're like ah I liked you so much better when you were in character right kind of like our movie stars today 
just just stay on the screen and just, I don't I really don't know all these things about you, right? Stop talking, right? But we know it's just a show, right? I hope you know that. And Jesus says, this whole idea of theatrical righteousness, you're putting on a show with religious behavior. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. You see, God wants us to be motivated by his reward. Now you're saying, like, well, what rewards is that? I mean, is it okay to be motivated by rewards? Well, according to Jesus, absolutely. So what kind of rewards are we talking about here? Well, let's begin with the rewards of the riches of relationship with God. You know, if you're a Christian, you genuinely know Christ, you actually have a desire to see God glorified. That's a reward, right? Before you and I were Christians, was, were we living for God's glory? Did we want to see him exalted? Did we even care about that? Absolutely not. That was not on the radar because it was all about us, right? But when you become a Christian and you place your faith in God, all of a sudden you want to see Jesus Christ exalted and lifted up. And so that's one reward, but let me give you some more rewards that come from the Father. Rewards like joy, peace, um, a greater sense of purpose. Depth, these come from God. There are eternal rewards. Increased faith. God brings about maturity. These are rewards that come from him. You know, sometimes the reward is a, is a breakthrough. You know, like, you ever have this experience in life where you just kind of feel like you're just hitting against a wall and you're like, ah, oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I have those. And then all of a sudden, it's like God just kind of seems to show the way. It's a breakthrough. It's a reward, the reward of authenticity, of integrity. These things come from the Father, and he wants us to be motivated by those things, to live for these riches of just the relationship with Christ. But the problem is, is that if your first priority is self, then, and this happens, you look around, you're like, you know what? If I am religious, if I associate with this particular church or I identify with this denomination, that could be good for my career. That could be good for my standing in society or in this community, and I'm just going to kind of go along for the ride. I'm going to put on a little show. I'm not going to take it too seriously, but I'm going to definitely identify if it bodes well for me. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. Let's, Let's just call it what it is. Jesus is saying, if you are exploiting God for your selfish ends, you have no reward with the Father who is in heaven. And I want you to know, that happened in Jesus' day, and it happens today. You're just using God for your own selfish ends. And Jesus says, absolutely not. You will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Have you ever seen one of those sets for like the old Western movies? A couple different times I've had the experience of actually doing that. Like if you look at certain angles, you think like you're in one of those old West boom towns, you know, the ones that show up like by a mine or by the sudden oil field and stuff like that. You think like you're there, but in actuality, I mean, yeah, it looks like a general store or there's a saloon or they usually have some like cute little, cute little quaint white church, right? You know, a little white cross on there. It's kind of off to the side there, but they usually have one of those. 
But it looks like you're in an old west town, but like if you were to go to the store and you open the door, there's no goods in there. There's no shopkeeper. There's no floor. You literally like, there's, there's nothing. It's, it's just like that. Jesus is saying, you don't want to be like that. Just a facade. Just a show. It's not real. He's after authenticity. He wants us genuine. If you really want a deep relationship with God, you want to be motivated to experience the riches of relationship with him. You see, a deep relationship with God comes from this, learning to love God and learning to live for his glory and not your own. So how do you experience a deep relationship with God? Well, it all gets started with our orientation, 548. It moves forward with motivation, chapter 6, verse 1. But it leads to transformation, and that's what God is bringing about in his people. Transformation, our relationship with Christ through the power of his spirit. God is changing us from the inside out, and we're moving away from the old shells and the dead man of living for self, and we're starting to pursue a life of being lived for the glory of God because we love him. And Jesus is now going to give some examples. And he's going to show transformation in contrast to self, selfish living. So the first one is, he tells about this. He tells us that God rewards the quiet care of the poor. Look at verse 2. So he says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. First thing I want to point out is, verse 2, he says, so when, not if. Does your Bible say when? Mine does. It, Jesus is assuming that his people are actually going to care for those in need. It's not if you give to the poor, uh, and this is the word like giving alms. Uh, giving to the poor is providing either food, um, shelter, clothing, some sort of resources, uh, like some money. He's saying when you care for the poor, when you do this, don't make a show of it. Don't sound a trumpet, okay? Now, I did some research and I was trying to find, was, was there any, like, scene in which they actually did that? Where, you know, like, you know, some guy kind of pulled out his trumpet, you know, from sixth grade and like, I'm going to do something. I want everybody to watch. No, I, I couldn't find any evidence of that. I think Jesus is speaking metaphorically. He's saying, when you do this, don't make a show of it. And there's some subtle ways that you can really kind of garner the attention of, to pe of people so that they can see what you're doing. Because after all, if your motivation is like, I just want to be look, look good, I want people to like, oh, man, there's just a really cool gal or a great guy. I'm going to put on a little show. You have subtle ways of doing that. And Jesus says, I don't want you to do that, nor do I want you to find some sort of busy street corner and set up shop there and, and make it happen. He says, no, what I want you to do uh, when you give to the poor, don't, don't be like the hypocrites who they, they go to the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. You ever heard that um, phrase, that guy is tooting their own horn? 
You ever heard that? Anybody ever say that about you? Hopefully not, because guess where it came from? This verse right here, verse 2. So he says, don't be like the hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is? That's the Greek word for an actor. Don't give theatrical righteousness. Not, not at all. But rather, he says, Jesus says, this is how you should live. This is the transformation of the quiet care for the poor. Verse 3, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's to give quietly or secretly. It's to not draw attention to yourself. So verse 4, so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's how you're to give. You see, if you're a celebrity, what do celebrities want? They want attention. They want people to like them, to look up to them, to follow them, right? I mean, it's all about garnering attention to you, and you'll do whatever it takes so that you're the star of the show, or as much as possible that that is your reality, or so you think. But if you are a servant, if you are a saint, you're about influence. You want people to know Jesus, and you want to see God glorified. And Jesus says, this is how you do it. Give in secret. Don't make a show of it. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, let me ask you this. Does all giving need to be anonymous? Well, actually, we have examples in the Bible where people gave and it wasn't anonymous. Remember a guy by the name of Barnabas, son of encouragement, a key player in the New Testament? Everybody needs encouragement. And this guy was good at it. In fact, that was his name. Remember Barnabas? In the early church, he sold a field of land, and he brought all the proceeds, and he actually placed it at the apostles' feet. In fact, Acts chapter 4 records that other people were doing just that. They were supporting the early church. They were bringing gifts, significant gifts, selling a field, bringing all of the proceeds, and placing it at the apostles' feet for the furthering of the kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus. And... uh, but it doesn't look like that they were motivated like to draw attention to themselves. They were doing it as an expression of devotion and of worship. But remember, when you keep reading in Acts chapter 5, you run across this lovely couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they, they too, they, they love God to an extent, but they really love themselves a lot, and they thought, whoa, we can look really good, and we got a little plan. We'll sell some of our land, but we're going to keep back some of the money, but we'll pretend as if we're kind of like doing like Barnabas did. And I tell you what, we're going to look good, and we're going to be rich doing it. You know, that sort of thing, right? If you've ever read Acts chapter 5, it is pretty sobering. What does God think about that kind of hypocrisy acting? Well, if you read, actually both of them lost their lives. Why? God is sending a statement I'm not about show. I'm about reality. I want you genuine. I want you sincere. I don't want you to give hypocritically. You know, when you give secretly, when you're caring for the poor like this, I want you to know, just like Jesus says, you will be rewarded. Rewards like the need has been met, the naked clothed, the sick are healed, the weak receive encouragement, The building is finished, the lost are saved, the forgotten are found, and those who are wayward are restored. These are the gifts that the Father gives. 
And friends, you want to have a vision for what it looks like to have a ministry of mercy. You have no idea how God will use just even the simple efforts of caring and living generously and graciously. There is a dear man in our church, William McDonald, who has since gone on to be with the Lord, but I think many of you um, remember William, just a great man, a pillar. He was a good friend of mine. And when he passed away and went into the entrance of heaven to be with the Lord, as we were preparing for his celebration of life service, his daughter uh, told me something about William that I had never known, and I felt like I knew William pretty well. And so she wrote it down, and I asked for permission if I could share it. And let me just read to you this little excerpt of what she wrote about her dad. She wrote, Last summer, Dad came with me to a doctor's appointment in Dallas. And even though he was in lots of discomfort from the chemo and was having an awful back pain that day, we had lunch at a diner, and he saw a homeless woman eating there. He asked the waitress about her and decided he wanted to pay for her lunch. Half an hour later, we were on the road and stopped for my dad to use the restroom at a McDonald's. It was taking a while, and I was wondering what was going on when my dad came back and asked for his wallet. He had met a man who needed some food for his grandkids, so my dad came back, and again in the midst of extreme pain, to get his wallet to buy the man some food. And I looked at him and said, Dad, we got to get you in this car and get you home or we'll never make it back. He was very compassionate of others, his family, and those he didn't know. Let's ask God to help us develop a ministry of mercy. Do you want depth? God brings it through transformation. You see, loving God personally leads to following God graciously. And so Jesus is taking us deeper He's showing showing us what transformation really looks like, what he's looking to develop in each of us. God rewards the quiet care of the poor. But then Jesus gives another example. God rewards the private prayers of his children. Look at verse 5. He says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray on the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly? I say to you, they have their reward in full. For the people in the time of Jesus' day, the Jews, specifically the Pharisees, they were into formalized, repetitive, long, overdone prayers, prayers to be put on display. Now, if you were a Jewish person that walked with God, Um, you took your prayer life seriously. In fact, you would pray three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. There were set times in which they would do this. And you could pray in one of two ways. If this was really about you taking time just to commune and relate with the living God, you would do it discreetly. But on the other hand, if it was all about a show, then what you would do is you would make a show of it. 
And that's what Jesus is addressing. Now, the synagogue, that's a meeting place of the Jews. Very few could make it to the temple in Jerusalem because you're living all throughout Israel. But they had their synagogues, their little meeting places. This would be a great place to go for quiet, to pray. Well, you really could also go to the synagogue or you could find a street corner and they would look for a kind of a, hey, there seems to be a lot of action here. I think I'll set up camp here and I will pray. It'd be kind of like, you know, you really want to make a show of your spiritual life? Try this. Just go like Waco Drive and Valley Mills. You know where that comes together? You go set up camp there, put on a little religious display, and people will notice. You keep it up, you might even make it in the Waco Trib. I'm like, oh, look at that holy person, right? What a spiritual giant in our community. That's exactly what we need. Jesus says, if that's what you're after, the applause and the attention of people, that's all you get. That's what you wanted. You got it. How's that working for you? You'll have no reward with your father. And so Jesus then says this, I want you to live differently. I want you to experience transformation. You can remember this principle. Why one prays determines how one prays. Why one prays determines how one prays. So Jesus says this, this is what I want you to do. Verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, And pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, most of the homes in Israel were very small. They didn't have, like, lots of rooms. In fact, they may have not had any other rooms except just one big room. But you might have, like, a little storage closet where you kept stuff. Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. Why don't you go find the little storage closet, and you go pray in there. Let it be a secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, prayer is communing and talking with God. It is to be real, not rote, ritualistic. You are to express what is in your heart, like it says in Psalm 62. Pour out your heart before God. Let him uh, be involved intimately with the deep issues that you're facing, your pain, your discouragement, the things that trouble you, all of the regrets, the victories, the... the, uh, areas of gratitude and thanksgiving. Express these in the private devotion and celebration with the living God. And your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. And he rewards us with the peace of his presence, with hope in the midst of our heartache and hardship, joy in the journey. He gives us strength in the suffering. He gives us guidance in this life. Now, it's not wrong to pray in public. Okay, I mean, pray at church, uh, like pray before you eat your meals, whether you're at home or at work, in the break room, in a restaurant. Um, it's, it's not wrong to seek God's help. Sometimes it's, it's done in a, in a public way. I mean, even this week, I had a, a guy in our church in a, in a quiet kind of corner booth in a restaurant with no show. He just prayed for me. I thought, how cool is that? He wasn't doing it for the attention of anybody or make a show for the waitress or anything like that. In fact, it looked like he looked to make sure that wouldn't happen. He said, hey, can I just pray for you? Friends, it all goes back to why are you praying? Is this really about you and God? 
Or is this really about a show to make you look good? And if you're saying, well, how do you really develop a prayer life? If I were to give you one word, just one word, to really develop your prayer life, you ready? Begin. That's it. Begin. Once you start, God will start developing this natural process where your soul is connecting with his heart and you're learning to talk with him about everything. You need counsel in your life? He provides it. Peace, hope, love. These things come from God. And furthermore, Jesus says this about prayer, verse 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And what Jesus is doing is he's referencing what had happened with so many people, so many Jews, but this was even the practice of the Gentiles. It was meaningless repetition. You would say things over and over again, and that's really how the Greeks and the Romans would pray. They might say the name of their deity over and over again or a particular phrase, and they would just say it over and over and over again. The the Greeks and the Romans, when they prayed, they would sometimes barter with their deity with the idea like, hey, you know the sacrifices that I made for you. You kind of need to come through with me for me now. That was kind of the idea. And I want you to know that happens today. You can, you can say prayers by rote, and you can say them over and over and over again. I know I've, I'm guilty of this. I, I've, I've said prayers. I was trained when I was young. I can say prayers that have really good words. Some of them are really suspect theology, but I was, I was taught them anyway. And I can do a math problem in my head at the same time. You can say good things, but that's not prayer. You're just reciting words. And Jesus says, I don't want you to be like the Gentiles. I don't want you to adopt some sort of pagan practice. I want you to commune from the heart. Don't use meaningless repetition. And it's, it's not the length of your prayers. It's the strength of them. When you look at the prayers like of Jesus, um, most of the prayers are actually pretty short. There are a couple occasions we see like before Jesus selected his apostles or before he goes to the cross, he's praying all night. But most of his prayers are pretty short and very direct. It's not the length of your prayers. It's the strength of them. And notice, who are we praying to? Your father. You see that verse 6? See that in verse 8? It's your father. You see, most Jewish fathers, they cared for their families. They provided for them. They protected for them. They, they wanted the best for them. I want you to know our Heavenly Father wants absolutely for us to know how much He loves us, His care. He wants us to come as children in need to a Father who loves and cares. You don't barter with Him. You're not trying to manipulate God. You're not trying to like, well, I'm trying to get God to move and act. Actually, you're putting yourself in a situation where you're resting and trusting in Him completely. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, He'll reward you. So make it personal and make it private. Let me just give you a few points on prayer. Uh, now, I want you to know that I am so excited about next Sunday because Jesus actually shows us how to really develop depth in our prayer life. But let me just give you a few just to kind of whet your appetite. First of all, 
really begin your times of prayer with exaltation. Remember who you're approaching. You're approaching the living God of the universe. And always come with the idea we're coming before the Holy One, the God Almighty. Focus not so much on physical needs as you are focusing on spiritual, emotional, and relational needs. When you look at the prayers of the Bible, you're going to be hard-pressed to find prayers just for physical needs. That is in contrast to how often we pray about just physical needs, usually someone's hurt, illness, disease. And I want you to know there's nothing wrong for praying those things. In fact, you should. We should pray about all things. But let it be more than just the physical. Because people, life is much more than just the physical. Let me give you just another few other prayer points. Focus more on character development and spiritual maturity. Pray for the things that you see in Scripture, like in Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. Pray more about people and relationships than things. And then finally, to really develop depth in your prayer life, pray through Scripture. That's what we do every Sunday. You notice how we we take like a passage of Scripture and we, we pray through it? We do that because we're cultivating a rich fellowship through prayer with the living God. Remember this, a deep relationship with God comes from learning to love Him and to live for His glory. That's how we develop it. It starts with our orientation. It is then moves forward through our motivation and we experience transformation. Friends, this is how we develop a deep relationship with God. And if you don't apply this, if you go like, eh, that's nice, but I, don't, I think I'll just kind of move forward and move on, I want you to know you're going to be like Ira and Ann Yates on their hard scrabble ranch, barely making it, just completely unaware that if they just dive deep just a little bit, they're sitting on an ocean of oil, just the riches and the wealth and the glory of the living God. In 2012, on a cold November night in Times Square, Officer Lawrence DePrimo, who was a part of a counterterrorism task force, uh, he was actually down there, and that wasn't usually where his post was, but he was on there down on this cold November night at Times Square, and he noticed that there were some people laughing at a homeless man. This homeless man was poorly clothed, didn't have any even shoes or socks on. In fact, he said, I was cold, and I had two pairs of socks on, and when I looked at him, I could even see the blisters that were on his feet. And so this police officer went and approached this man, asked him if he had anything, didn't have anything for his feet, nothing to keep him warm. And so this officer went to a Skechers store that was on on 42nd Street. He uh, bought went in there and said, listen, I'd, I'd like to buy a pair of all-weather boots. I'm not really interested in how much they cost. I just want them to be good. And I need them about size 12. And so the employee went and found a pair of boots at $100. And that officer with his own money, he paid for those boots. And then he brought them back and, and he presented them to this homeless man. He didn't ask anything from the homeless guy. He was just showing compassion care, and concern. Of course, we would never know about this or never talk about this, 
except that there was a tourist from Arizona at Times Square that night. Her name was Jennifer Foster. She happened to see this, and with her phone, she took this picture. And there you see Officer DePrimo. If you look, can you see the boots there? And he's presenting it to this man. And this post, this picture, was eventually sent to the New York Police Department. And and some of you have actually seen this before because it literally went around the world. This is the picture of care and compassion. A store manager later said this, we are just kind of shocked. Most of us are New Yorkers, and we just kind of pass by that kind of thing, especially in this neighborhood. Friends, God is taking us deeper. He's bringing about transformation. And can I whisper something in your ear? Remember this. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. A deep relationship with God comes from learning to love him and to live for his glory. Let's pray.